Welcome to episode 105 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week is a special episode as we take a look at Third Rock from the Sun, Season 2, Episode 24, titled Dick and the Single Girl. It originally aired on May 11th, 1997, which is the same day as Demons, the X-Files episode we'll be looking at next week, and the IMDb user score is 7.8 out of 10. For some background on Third Rock from the Sun, it's a series that ran for 139 episodes. Those episodes were spread throughout six seasons. It was created by Bonnie and Terry Turner, who also created that 70s show and that 80s show, Whoopi and Normal Ohio. It was a Fox Network sitcom about four aliens gathering data about Earth by taking on the outward appearance of humans and trying to blend in. Because they wanted to blend in just like anybody else, the three males assume the names Tom, Dick, and Harry, while the female is Sally. Note that their species doesn't actually have genders, so these genders are just assigned when they're in their human forms. Now, the regular cast includes John Lithgow, whose career I probably don't need to get into. He's the father figure and the mission commander. His recent credits include The Crown and Trial and Error. IMDb says he's best known for Interstellar, Shrek, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and this series. Some of my generation would probably still remember him best as the father and Harry and the Hendersons. He received Oscar nominations for his work in Terms of Endearment and The World According to Garp. He received a Golden Globe nomination for his work in The Crown, a Golden Globe win for Dexter, plus two nominations and a win for Third Rock from the Sun. As far as the Emmys are concerned, he won once for Dexter. He had three nominations and three wins for Third Rock from the Sun, three nominations and a win for some other shows, plus a lot of award nominations and wins from other award ceremonies. Kristen Johnston plays Sally, the mission's military tactician, who's best known for this, Bride Wars, The Exes, playing Wilma Slaghoople in The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, and playing Ivana Humpelot in Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. French Stewart plays Harry, whose role in the mission is to have a transmitter inside his head so they can communicate back and forth with the leader of their homeworld, the big giant head, who would be played in later episodes by William Shatner. Stewart is best known for this, leaving Las Vegas, Home Alone 4, and for being mostly cut out of the Stargate theatrical film, although his scenes are largely restored for the director's cut. He also played Inspector Gadget in the direct-to-video sequel to the live-action film that starred Matthew Broderick. The fourth alien is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The character's name is Tommy. He's got the youngest human body for the oldest alien inside. He's best known for his work in Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Looper, 500 Days of Summer, and Snowden. He won an Emmy for Hit Record on TV. He got Golden Globe nominations for 50-50 and 500 Days of Summer. That's the kind of resume that could almost make me forgive him for contributing to the travesty of G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra by playing Cobra Commander. Now, the fifth person who appeared in all 139 episodes is Jane Curtin, who plays Mary Albright, the human woman that Dick falls in love with, though I will never understand why her character, the anthropology professor, ends up sharing an office with Dick Solomon, the physics professor. That may be explained later in the series, though. I typically lose interest in sitcoms often within the end of the first series, sometimes into season two, with a few exceptions. Curtin is best known for this, playing Allie and Kate and Allie, as well as her roles in Ants and Saturday Night Live. She got a Golden Globe nomination for Kate and Allie. She had an Emmy nomination and two Emmy wins for Kate and Allie. And she also had Emmy nominations in the single performer and ensemble cast categories for Saturday Night Live. Simba Kali plays Nina, Mary Albright's assistant. She's best known for this, We Were Soldiers, Vampire in Brooklyn, and Mississippi Damned. 
She's not in the opening credits at this point because she's technically just a recurring cast member instead of a series regular or star, but she ends up appearing in 134 out of 139 episodes, so she might as well be a star. Wayne Knight plays Dawn, Sally's police officer boyfriend, in 101 of the 139 episodes. The IMDb lists his most popular roles as Nedry in Jurassic Park, Stan Podolak in Space Jam, Al the Toy Collector in Toy Story 2, and the gang boss in Kung Fu Panda, but to a lot of people he will always be Newman from Seinfeld. Now, Christine Baranski appears in this episode only for the series. She plays Sonia Umdahl, the mousy librarian that catches Dick's eye. She's best known for The Good Wife, the live action How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Sybil, and Into the Woods. She also plays Dr. Beverly Hofstadter on The Big Bang Theory. She's had two Golden Globe nominations for Sybil. As far as the Emmys are concerned, she was nominated for The Big Bang Theory four times, nominated for The Good Wife five times, nominated for Frasier once in a guest role there, and she had three nominations and a win for Sybil. Looking behind the camera, the episode was directed by Terry Hughes, who's best known for directing 108 of 177 episodes of The Golden Girls, five episodes of Friends, all 22 episodes of Whoopi, the concert segments of Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl, 12 of the 13 episodes of that 80s show, the pilot for that 70s show, and 100 out of 139 episodes of this series. He does seem to have a history of committing to sitcoms and doing a lot. It feels like when he wants in on something, he kind of wants to make it his own. And it seems as though he'll direct every episode, if they'll let him. This episode was co-written by Mark Brazil and Christine Zander, who also have a lot of credits each and don't necessarily always work together. But a lot of their work, especially for Mark Brazil, is coming out of other Bonnie and Terry Turner shows. Now, the episode titles for Third Rock from the Sun are often puns and plays on words. In fact, all 139 episode titles use the name Dick in one way or another. This time... Dick and the Single Girl is a reference to the 1964 film Sex and the Single Girl, starring Tony Curtis, Natalie Wood, Henry Fonda, Lauren Bacall, and Mel Ferrer, which was directed by Richard Quine. Now, The X-Files is one of the few TV series that often has only one plot thread per episode. Most shows have what they call A, B, and or C plots. Some get even further into the alphabet than that. The A plot is the one that gets the most screen time, the B plot gets the next largest share, and so forth. So in last week's episode, Elegy, as is so often the case in the X-Files, the A plot is the case they're working on. In many episodes, that's the only plot. Last week, there was also a bit of a B plot as Skelly was dealing with her cancer and the implications that she was possibly dying from it after having seen the ghost. It's rare to go with three or more plot threads in half-hour sitcoms because it's hard to do them well. At that point, you've divided up to seven minutes or less each. Third Rock, however, would often go to three or four plots, as their four main cast members would typically have their own stories. Three was the most common, and they'd find a way for two of the four main characters to do a story together. So this episode made it into the X-Files Retrospective podcast because of the episode's C-plot. The A-plot is the one that the episode is named after, where Dick hits it off with a college librarian named Sonia, who is transferring to another institution after 15 years of service, because that institution has exclusive access to the unpublished works of Nikolai Lobachevsky. Dr. Mary Albright gets jealous, even though Dick has no romantic interest in Sonia, and they do eventually drive her off and send her on her way. In the B-plot, Sally and Don, her police officer boyfriend, run into relationship issues when they discover that her attraction to him is entirely superficial, 
and she's only really in love with his uniform. They resolve this problem and save their relationship when he realizes this and just swears that she will never see him out of uniform again. The C-plot is the one that actually gets kicked off right at the start of the episode and gets wrapped up during the closing credits of the episode. So this is the start and end, even though it's got the smallest amount of screen time. It begins with Tom, Dick, and Harry watching an episode of The X-Files. They're upset that Sally and Don keep talking in the room so they can't hear what's going on. Once they drive off Sally and Don, Tom and Harry start talking about being able to write a better episode themselves, and they're getting on, I could write a better one with crayon, I could write a better one with my toes after losing my arms, and Dick loses his temper and challenges them to just go write the episode but do it in another room so we can hear this one, and then when theirs is on the air, he'll talk through it so they know how it feels. So Tom and Harry do actually spend the rest of the episode collaborating on a script for the X-Files, which they eventually get finished and polished to their satisfaction to send into the show. Now, as the X-Files didn't actually accept scripts without representation, which is an extremely common practice in TV, it's safe to assume that their script, which included the death of Mulder, didn't get made. From an X-Files parody perspective, this actually handles things fairly well. It's an accurate representation of the show, which is on the same network and would actually air later that night after this episode. Both were Fox shows on Sunday nights, with Third Rock in an earlier time slot. It also fits with the established framework of the series and treats that source material with respect, and it makes references to the X-Files without feeling the need to explain them. So it's treating the X-Files as a cultural touchstone that any viewer would understand. And this was true of a lot of people in 1997. Even if you hadn't watched the show, it had been referenced enough in pop culture, you knew it was about Agents Mulder and Scully, and that Aliens and Supernatural were a big part of it. A lot of people even knew that Scully was the skeptic and Mulder was the believer. From the Fox perspective, well, they had complete access to the Nielsen ratings for their series, so they also knew that it was true that a lot of the people who were watching Third Rock would stick around and watch The X-Files after. So it was a safe bet that they wouldn't need to explain any of that at all. Now, as for the segment on this podcast where we evaluate the science of the show, well, Third Rock was deliberately vague as to how aliens, who are naturally purple gelatinous goo, took on human form in the first place. That part was done long before this episode. That was part of the pilot and other episodes in season one where Dick gets sick where those references were made. For this particular episode, it is worth noting that Dick and Sonya talk about particles which are their own antiparticles and specifically name the photon and burst out laughing, which makes Mary feel awkward because she's completely lost in the conversation. While the particle physics they're talking about is accurate and the photon is likely the first example of a particle that people who are having the conversation would think of when they're thinking of particles, which are their own antiparticles. There are dozens of other examples, and the way it's related here, it's not a punchline. I will, however, give them a lot of credit for the reference to the unpublished works of Nikolai Lobachevsky. So who is Lobachevsky? First, we start with Euclid, who was born sometime during the 4th century BC and died in the 3rd century BC. His elements, or the 13 books of the elements, were the birth of modern mathematics. He started with five axioms, or five arbitrary assumptions, as well as five postulates, which are essentially definitions about, you know, if you have a point with a radius, you can draw a circle there. You can always connect two points with a line and so forth. With those axioms and postulates, he derived the rest of geometry as it was known at the time. Those axioms are, number one, things which are equal to the same things are also equal to one another. So if A equals B and C equals B, then A equals C. If equals are added to equals, the whole are equal. So if A equals B and C equals D, A plus C equals B plus D. If equals are subtracted from equals, the remainders are equal. 
Again, if A equals B and if C equals D, then A minus C will equal B minus D. Axiom four, things which coincide with one another are equal to one another. Now, he says things because in Euclid's time, they weren't working with numbers. They were working with geometric shapes and geometry. So if two line segments had the same start and end points, well, those two line segments were identical. If two squares had their corners in exactly the same places, then those would be identical and so forth. And finally, the whole is greater than the part. So if you take a line or a shape and break a piece off, those pieces are going to be both smaller than the original. Euclid's work appeared to be complete, which is rare in math. Usually, they're constantly adding and developing to the field. In Euclid's case, he wrote everything down, maybe a century or two's worth of work in his local culture, compiled it all, derived it, expanded on it, and he did that before his death in the 3rd century BC. His work stood virtually unchallenged, or without a successful challenge to it, for 2,000 years. It wasn't until the 18th century when mathematicians realized that Euclid had biases that meant he was actually using a sixth axiom that he didn't even recognize that geometry started to expand and grow again. All of his geometry could be represented by Cartesian space. That's the space where we have the X, Y, and Z coordinates that we saw all through public school and that we got used to. They were named after Rene Descartes, the philosopher who is famous for I think, therefore I am, but who I think should be better remembered for creating the coordinate system that makes most of science, engineering, and architecture possible. Maybe he doesn't get credit for that because he was a sick 10-year-old kid lying on his bed nursing his bad back, watching a fly walk across the ceiling tiles of his room when he came up with the idea. But for whatever reason, I think he deserves to be best known for that rather than the philosophy. Not that his I think therefore I am was a small achievement, just that it hasn't had the impact on society the Cartesian coordinate system has. But anyway, in the 18th century, people started studying non-Euclidean geometry which is geometry in spaces that can't accurately be described by the Cartesian coordinate system. Nikolai Lobachevsky is one of the first three or four individuals to do such studies, and he developed the geometry that results from coordinates defined by hyperbola instead of straight lines. Much of his work was unpublished at the time of his death, due in part to the difficulty of finding a publisher with editors on staff who are advanced enough to understand it and to choose to publish it. So that element of this episode seems like a very well-researched throwaway line. So I suspect what we had are people on the writing staff who had natural interest in the history of math and science and physics, and were doing this research anyway and just found a way to work that in. It was actually jokes like that that kept me coming back to the series off and on, even after I was mostly tired of it in the first season or two, and was tuning in sporadically right up until the end of the run. So I saw a larger percentage of this than it did for most other sitcoms. In any event, that's all we have to say about this particular episode of Third Rock from the Sun. Join us next week when we discuss Demons, back with our regular X-Files coverage in an episode that aired the same night as this did. In the meantime, feel free to share links to this with friends or anyone else you feel may be interested. Rate this and any other shows you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help the shows get noticed. And finally, thank you for listening.